thank you. Just say thank you to the Lord. I say thank you. There's nothing I have to prove. I say thank you. I want to know you. I want to know you more. Like I know a friend. I want to know you more. I want to know you more. Like I know a friend. I want to know you. Get to know you, Lord. <laughs> yes, Lord. <laughs> I want to know you, Lord. Yeah, thank you that we get to know you, Lord. I get to know you, Lord. You're my best friend. I get to know you, Lord. Thank you that we get to know you. Get to know you, Lord. You're my best friend. I get to know you, Lord. I get to know you, Lord. You're my best friend. I get to know you, Lord. Folks, we live in a period of time and an intensity of season where everything that can be shaken is being shaken. And it's going to shake more. There's tremors moving across the face of the world system, and it's grinding on its fault lines. A time to draw near to the Lord and declare, you are my rock. You are my firm footing upon which I stand. And you are the supply of the living water of your very life that I can drink from and be a conduit of in a dry and thirsty land. Jesus, draw me to your side. That flowed with blood when you hung and died wash away my guilty stains till only your peace remains I'm the branch and you're the vine let your life 
Nuggets of knowing from the stream of the Spirit. In two words, it's revelation knowledge. It's the conveying or communication of God's heart to our heart. It may come in through the mind gate or the ear gate, but it's got to come down to the heart level. That's the depths of our desire. in order to be spendable currency in the kingdom. Once revelation, that expression and impartation of God's heart becomes rooted in our heart, and we do it through the inhalation of the breath of the scriptures, through the listening of anointed teaching and preaching, prophesying, Through the exchange of testimony, when that is settled in our heart, it will often translate into the internal or inner voice of the shepherd as his sheep hear his voice. And we hear his promptings, we get his perspective on matters. Revelation knowledge. I don't know anything that combines necessity and luxury like revelation knowledge. It's ours for the asking. Paul said, I bow my knees before the Father and ask that you would get a spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's from Ephesians 1, verses 16 and 17. We're going to consider that this morning in word and song. It's seeking. Seeking is desire plus discipline with 
expectation. It comes as we lay aside all other distractions and clear the avenue of receptivity. And we camp around the word of the Lord. And we prayerfully commune with him, ask him questions and hear his answers. And we might not get an immediate answer, but it'll give a delayed action rising our shaft of light that will happen in the course of the day when we least expect it. I say, I want some of that. That's what you've been inviting that. Thanks, Abba. And even when we're down and out and we've had a couple of bad days, maybe one in particular, be reminded that his mercies are new every morning and he gives a fresh start. David would often pour out his heart and it would begin with a lament. How long, Lord? Boy, the confession police would have been all over him. But if they'd have stopped and listened long enough, they would have heard the holy but. But God, who is all-surpassing in power and rich in mercy. And that begins to confess and declare in agreement with the truth to say what God is saying in concert with his word made alive in our hearts. Get those fresh heart transfusions to recognize our spirit. We stand in absolute blameless righteousness positionally in him and not only that we have a new nature created in righteousness holiness of the truth you don't have two natures there used to be a teaching on that still is it's erroneous you say what about the flesh that's a good question my flesh dwelleth no good thing, but that no longer defines me as my nature. It's a condition I deal with, and I do so by reliance on the Spirit, even desperately, which renders the flesh unusable. The flesh and the old man, the same thing? The flesh is the old man's clone, only he no longer defines and dominates us. If we allow flesh to dominate us, then we lapse into feeling like we've got two natures, as our religious flesh is trying to rehabilitate our rebellious flesh, and all it does is cause the rebellious flesh to kick up our baser inclinations and send us running for more fig leaves to sew together to cover the rebellion. That was Paul's dilemma that he was deciding in Romans 7, wretched man that I am, who will deliver the body? to sin. In my spirit I delight in the holiness of God's beautiful law. But then my mind gets compartmentalized and I'm determined by sheer force of effort to live in accord with God's law. But all it does is cause raging upheavals of baser lusts to rise up in my bodily But if I acknowledge we are essence, 
have a shoulder to lean on. Lord, I stand in righteousness before you, not by my performance, but by the perfect performance of the perfect one and the shedding of his blood through which I have forgiveness of sins, present and future. Oh, yeah, I step in some poop in the pasture and make need to make a withdrawal from the first bank of the heavens. But I have that forgiveness. I may be renewed to righteousness because I drifted off into legalism or performance that kicked up rebellion. But I can come boldly into your presence and be sprinkled in my conscience with that clarity of conscience again that's innocence and bear witness with the truth. And I can be renewed to your righteousness and I'm liberated to walk in your light which is love and know that I am loved and cherished by you. I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. I don't have to be the CEO or center of my own little solar system. And I walk in the flow and the flavor of that and on either side of that glory road is a crimson stream of the blood of the Lamb and I walk in perfect innocence and it's priceless. And I'd be hard-pressed to even remember how I screwed up to get out in the North 40 of the flesh. Isn't that wonderful? It's not because you're senile, you're being renewed to innocence. And as our spirit is fed with the substance of the word and the inhalation of the scriptures and of the presence of God and flexed in worship, our heart, that's the depth of our desire. The Lord's always resonant there, but he wants to be central there. Comes to where our treasure is. What did Jesus say? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And our spirit and heart made as one and the very life of the Lord flows out from there into our soul and renews our mind. That's how we reason, recall, and act. We begin to reason on course with the solidity of his wisdom. We recall divine interventions about good and sin and headed off disaster of the past and recall blessings of provision and restored relationships. And our foul up, no condemnation. At the time, there was contamination, but we got cleansed of it. And we recall the life lessons that we retained from that and are grateful for them. And then our imagination becomes a stage to be invaded by vision, Holy Ghost light bulbs, fresh ideas that can be vision for business or ministry, child raising, anything and everything. We get God's perspective on the situation from the eagle flight point of view, and we begin to see the X marks and spots of weakness. That's a renewed mind resulting in a transformed soul. Our will is empowered to say yes to light and no to darkness. Our emotions that once deceived us are now clean, rich, free, real, and become the octane. 
having been transfused by the renewal of our mind, we transmit him. Having drank deeply from the dynamics that our sister so wonderfully portrays so beautifully, we now become conduits of living water through our gaze, our gestures, and the whole choreography of our life. And yes, the debris of our imperfections come out in the mix, but that just lets people know we're human and a work in progress, and we stop trying to impersonate perfection, but we allow ourselves to be refined in perfect trust upon the perfect one and partake of his nature. And we find that coming into that is a process. Very different from perfection. Revelation 9. The impartation of God's heart to ours. Deep call to deep. He calls us to calls us to seek and to seek me with your whole heart and I'll be found of you. And we begin to teach us what we see in the light of revelatory wealth imparted from his heart to ours. So in music and the word, we're going to consider an overview of Ephesians 1, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. There'll be a punctuation of personal prophetic encouragement, edification, exhortation, and comfort. But if you find yourself feeling anything but like what I just described, know that I've been there and done that, and he got me through that. He works the night shift and the dark night of the soul. You give me songs in the night till the morning light breaks in on me. The darkness gives way to the light of the day you promised I'd see. Meanwhile, with a smile in the dark, I hearken to your voice and rejoice at the sound of your Give me songs in the night till the morning light breaks in on me. The darkness gives way to the light of the day that you promised I'd see. Meanwhile, with a smile in the dark, I hearken to your voice and rejoice. At the sound of your song in the night. I'll ask your name if there's a personal word. 
I submit it to the statement of Scripture, to the Spirit of God within you and the pastoral authority here. And I'm here to encourage. A long time ago, I learned my job description is I'm a, by God's grace, a glorified UPS delivery boy delivering payloads of care packages of encouragement to your inner mailbox for you to unwrap and test and see. That's what I do. I don't predict election outcomes. Some guy in Reading pipes up and asks me who was going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> At the time, I told him, well, I know who I hope wins it. I'm not going to say that here. I don't want to cause division in the camp. <laughs> this would have been years ago anyway. <laughs> You gotta watch what you say in certain localities. You know, I come from Idaho, and I was in Seattle once at a downtown church, and I said, you know, there's a difference between a redneck and a stiff neck. And a guy on the front row says, I don't see any difference. <laughs> and I said, I can't help you there. We can't camp around that. <laughs> you would know it. On a quest and a journey to learn more about what the Lord has for you, Corey. Where your life was devastation, the Lord entered that valley and began to engineer restoration as only he can. And he's done it in wonderful measure, and you've discovered the treasure of knowing that he loves you. He's not going to quit on you. He never has, and there's no quit in you. You're a tender guy, but you're a tough guy. Coming into a restoration of wholeness, the Lord's going to use your testimony and already is evangelistically in these days. And you'll find hearts that are supple, soft, and receptive to the gospel truth. The Lord's doing a marvelous work of restoration, especially in boomers that have labored under hopelessness through hope deferred that makes the heart grow sick. It's the product of misplaced trust because so much of the time we've been cerebral at the expense of our heart. We have been message-centered on a mental level instead of Christ-centered. We've tried to make one truth and make it say everything to the exclusion of everything else in either eye. We took the word of faith and did that. When we get a revelation in our heart and a declaration of the confession of our mouth and a persevering to proceed toward manifestation, that's dynamite because that comes from Jesus is at the center. And there was a time when a generation of us, we made it the hub instead of the focus. We got prosperity confused with opulence. We got the American dream confused with the kingdom of God. God bless America, and he loves America, and he's not through with America. But I'll tell you what, when our priority is to seek the kingdom of God, to be dominated in every area, 
and to become part of being trained, trained, and a conduit to his kingdom rule come. He's going to add everything we need resourcefully, whether it's hundreds, thousands, or millions. He's the God of more than enough. He's El Shaddai, not El Shaddai. When we're Christ-centered, we see that. There was a time when we saw worship as therapy, just goosebumps. King Saul is screwed up as he was when he's asked. Now, there's a therapeutic value in worship, but the word actually in the Greek means kissing up close to proskuneo from a yielded position of reverence. That's what the word most often translated as worship means. And it is a breakthrough into an encounter with his countenance that is not just therapeutic, but transformational. And we begin to worship worship and wonder how much on the worship scale we used to do back in the day. We got ourselves into a messy condition in Christ's kingdom. And when it came to discipleship, some of you here are old enough to remember the shepherding movement. That was multi-level marketing, pastoring. Oh, my goodness. I, and if you're saying, what in the world is he talking about? They would be disparaged out of sarcasm. Discipleship is Jesus, our discipler, what he exemplified in his walk in the gospels, he enables and empowers us to do as we rely on Christ within and allow him to live through us. And we live in the momentum of his grace. And oh, what we did with grace on a mental level, it was a life-changing thing. It is the force of God's favor that's been released through the finished work of Calvary that we appropriate by faith the Spirit teaches us how to do it. It's provided everything we could ever need. And the Spirit is teaching us to take that which is resident in the Spirit and translate it into the practicality of terra firma and walk in the provision of it here and now as heaven invades earth. Grace get an understanding of righteousness by faith that it's imputed to us. It's been in our once previous bankrupt account. And we embrace the grace of that. It becomes the empowering grace to walk in righteousness. The veil of performance is stripped away. We turn to the eulogies of the Spirit who teaches us his word. And we are empowered and sensitized to the promptings of the voice of the shepherd within us. And he's mentoring us patiently to walk in it. Hallelujah. That's the Christian life. And I'll tell you, the vast percentage of the brick-and-mortar church at this point does not get it. But we're going to. There's going to be a contagion of revelatory release and visitation in these days. And the remnant of what you're a part of is growing. And we're seeing nuances of a third great awakening all over this place. The Apostle Paul is praying. He bends his knees before the Father and asks that we would have a 
spirit of wisdom and revelation, the eyes of our hearts open thereunto. What do we see? The knowledge of God, the intimate, personal knowledge of God, what he's really like. The veil has been removed. He's the same as the God of the Old Testament, but now we're operating under a better covenant. Before, it was there was ceremonial, ritual with blood sacrifices, symbolism that all pointed to Messiah to come, and that had a value in itself. The law that they couldn't live at least provided behavioral guidelines, and when they acted in accord with it, they got blessed. When they didn't, they got cursed. There's no more curses. It's all been absorbed by him who hung on a tree. Oh, there's correction. There's no more condemnation. Oh, there's contamination when we walk in some pools of the pasture and need to get our feet washed by the renewed water of the word and get set back on course again. We see the tender daddiness of God, our patriarchal tenderness, who comes to our game with my son, Brian, was a fabulous basketball player when he was in high school. And I taught him the basics of shooting. You know, your feet are offset, elbow is perpendicular to the pavement as it's coming down. And you reach over like they're reaching into the cookie jar to get a second chin. But he developed it far beyond my ability. He would take it and translate it into a work ethic and shoot hundred foul shots and then carom the ball off the garage and shoot three-pointers from out and he would look and drive down the lane and he loved the discipline of training and we should love the discipline of exploring the word and the revelatory nuggets of the screen and Ryan would get out there on the court in a hostile arena he played at a small Christian school but the schools he played were not Christian and boy they would be yelling at him and he would step up to the foul shot and most of the time it was nothing but net. He was about an 85% free throw shooter and that's good on any level. I could watch him on defense and the guy he's defending was trash talking him. You know, you could see his mouth moving. Oh, Ryan, he's just looking him in the eye and he's got peripheral vision and anticipates the guy's moves and knows just when to swat at that ball when it's between the dribble of the hands of the court, whack it to the side, and go shooting down the court for an easy layup. He tuned out the trash talk, tuned out the yelling from the bleachers when he was taking a foul shot. And as we are disciplined in the word and revelation knowledge, it becomes our motivation, our liberation, and our strength walking in concert and in cadence in our hearts in our mouths as I possess with the power of the tongue we tune out and watch the devil now there's times when he'll get in our mental zone and we have to capture that thought and cuff it and put our foot on the neck of it and say you bow before the obedience of Christ, I am empowered and deputized and authorized by the supreme attorney general of the universe. Whoa. 
we sense the tenderness, the intimacy of God, that he is love and we are beloved. We're not our own. We're bought with a price and we are cherished. We are liberated from being the CEO of our own lives, the center of our own little solar system. That revelation knowledge, when we get that, we stop staring at the veil of performance. Do this, do that, and you're not going to be acceptable. And we turn from that and the Spirit opens our eyes to the love of God, love called faith forward. Love releases us to reciprocate with love when love the other first loved us. see his commands in the light of the new covenant. They're life prescriptions, paths into soul health and soul integrity. Does this make sanctified sense? And it'll take a couple of steps and maybe it's a direction we don't especially want to go in, but we know it's right. And then we're intersected by enabling the power of Christ. Uh, I'm just talking about plain, wonderful, simple New Testament gospel Christianity. Not a, not a person, but you're in Christ. Man and wife. Man and wife. <laughs> yeah. Steve, a man who loves the word, the wordsmith with the ability to communicate it and punctuate it with prophetic insight. That's your passion. The Lord is developing you in your leadership. You have had a willingness to be spindly current in the shape of clay, and it's coming into being and manifestation. And because you have humbled yourself under his mighty hand, he will elevate and promote you as a glove on that hand. And elevation means to be uh, growing in revelation and be more and more the manifestation of Christ in you. That's spiritual promotion. People see it and are drawn to it, and you just love pouring forth that word that's in you because it's not something you got to do to be accepted. It's just how you're made, how you're gifted, and you just love doing that extension of yourself. Eric Little, chariot of fire, spoke to his sister, said, when God made me, he made me fast. And when I run, I run. Some of you are saying, chariot of fire, what's that? It's just a movement action. Revelation knowledge is sequential. We'll see it, and then in the light of one revelatory reality, we'll see yet another. In the light of the intimate knowledge of God, we see the hope of his calling. According to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, hope is ecstatic expectation concerning the future of good things from a good God. You have a hope and a future. Jeremiah 11. 
of his calling, we are called to be like Jesus in attitude and action, at soul level, and faithful is he who has called you, who will also do it in you. And we begin to find our highest joy is, hey, I just tell Jesus something now. I tell Jesus, perfuming my speech there, I felt Jesus moving with me in a strength and an empowering grace that I would have been incapable of on my own. I felt the humility of Jesus where I didn't have to have the last word in that argument because it was nothing but escalating egos going on anyway. That's our general calling, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. It's God working in the midst of our situation. Some people will bless us. Some will challenge us. Those that bless us edify us. They manifest the facet of Jesus to emulate. And those that aren't so much of a blessing that test us, drive us to our knees and say, Lord, only you can love that person through me. And if it's left up to me, I'm likely to punch their lights out. I thank you that you are bigger than that financial situation that I'm faced with. That's our general calling, and in the light of that, we see our specific calling. Lord, what am I to do in way of service? Romans 12, 1 and 2, you present your body. We're talking practicality, physicality, the whole package deal of who you are as a living sacrifice to be assembled in Christ. And in so doing, we're empowered to push aside the seduction of the world's false promises and its deceptions and compromises. And our mind is renewed to perceive the will of God that is good, it's benevolent, it's medicinal, it's acceptable, it's fragrant, it's our giftings as it's mentioned a little later on in this text it may be to teach to bring the word in an ordered sequence and it charges the battery of the inner headlights it may be prophetic which is more like a flash of lightning and the edification exhortation and comfort but it takes a snapshot of my spirit to carry around with me in war of this warfare it may be administration on a, a project of a building or, or just some kind of endeavor in the community and you know how to organize and lead. You know how to summon various talents and put them together. And what you've envisioned, you see become visible. You're a facilitator, an administrator. You may be gifted in mercy. You sense the hurting heartbeat of people and know what to say to them love them and to become an extension of his hand into the depths of where they can bruise deep within with an eternal wound. You might be a giver. 
The Lord has given you the power to gain wealth in extra measure, and yet you delight in giving. We all need to be givers, whether we're sowing and we're reaping. Tithing is not an obligation, it's a revelation. You give God the cream off of the top, and it's an investment for stewards of it. It all belongs to him anyway. And he will bless and multiply that and bring back a return to you. Uh, several months ago, we decided, you know, we've always been sowing and reaping, reaping but we decided, you know, we're going to name the seed and start getting out of debt and hoping. And because we put so much mileage in the cars, we have to buy late model cars. And we bought that... Uh, Vehicle rental out there, brand new one. Now got about a what, 150, 160,000 miles on it. Yeah, whatever it is. And um, we were in a little podunk church in Central Idaho, and a lady we've known for years. You know, she's not uh, a fashion place. She runs a church in Flannel Church, and she and her sweetheart just love people. Has uh, the teenagers in her home. She's a young wife on a regular basis. Wanted to give us some vegetables from her garden. She said, stop on your way out of town. We did. And she looked in the car and said, you've been on my heart. What do you owe on this car? Now, Donna's been a good steward putting extra money in the sprinklers and stuff. So we do that. But she's got to buy things for Donna if we're going to avoid buying flares. Donna said, $14,000. She said, when she, the time it takes mail to get from here to there, you're going to be getting a check for $14,000. Wow. It was a sanctified suddenness that just come out of us that the Lord loves to provide us. That's his daddy. The hope of his calling Victorious in everything we could ever need. Trained to reign in life. Trained to grow up into that life. It's heavenly life quality on earth now. This is eternal life, Jesus says, to know you and to know you, Father, and to know Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's knowing the intimacy of an intercourse in the house of life in common. And we begin to experience the kingdom of God on earth which is love, order, power, purity, health, and abundance, and we grow into the reality of that and become conduits of his same. Revel and enjoy us. Celebrated my 82nd birthday here recently, and kids showed up, and they were loving on one another and giving them these cars with these mysterious things in their own basement position to read them out loud. And I was really going to get myself delighted, but the honor of 
about coming to an understanding based where God said, did you know something that I might be developing in you? Because he knew I had to do that. And that loving one another and everyone in the community to work off of one another and to live a laughter in our age. Jesus desired a bride that he could intercourse with once he had appeared and have a passion with and have her cold live with. That's his intention. The Holy Spirit wanted the people to inhabit as a people to strengthen and to reveal Christ given as the truth of God's word and empower them to do mighty acts of service. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have an inheritance in you. He loves you and he likes you. He enjoys you and loves you and we thank you and we praise you Revelation, the art level of what God is really like, the hope of his calling, the ecstatic expectation, becoming more and more like Jesus in attitude and action, discovering our assigned specialty that we're trained in the very yoke as we're mentored by him, not being stiff-necked, unteachable, but yielded. You know, when there's obstructions in our neck, it keeps the healing hormones in our brain, serotonin and dopamine and those positive things, healing agencies from getting down into our body and aiding and abetting the body's ability to heal itself and to bring joy and exhilaration when the spirit comes. Same in the spirit. Stiff-necked, you can't get to my head for a while.
forgiveness so that I could receive, so that I could speak fairly or lovably. And I did that for the duration of the better part of a week. God, Cedric, you got done and dried your stuff, so now it's just like a month, and you get your voice back. But I couldn't do that. We had nine meetings in that day. I was using what I had. I was prophesying. I was right up to the mic. People were leaning forward. Lo and behold, my voice started to come back. I was persevering. I could read that I could see. If I could write, that had to be healed. I moved forward. And with my raspy voice, I'm declaring that. I turned with my rudder in the flow of the Spirit. And now I'm coming into the possession of the promise of that voice. I can talk. By the last meeting, I could sing. And I had my full baritone. Hallelujah. And we've won some, we've lost some. But the more we have believed the healing of God will come. In all aspects, I refuse to believe anything short of that. I might do some dumb things that less than smart than what I might eat or, or spend in proportion in a pestilential kind of way that my body can no longer endure <laughs> and hurt myself. God didn't do that. And I've seen some people victorious in the midst of the battle of cancer. We had a friend with us, uh, Jenny Gregory, that we had had in Salt Lake. Jenny was wonderfully sick. His whole family had been uh, Mormons, and he'd been a blacksmith. But boy, when he got saved, they were boggled by it the transformation in his life. And he got hit by cancer and he'd gone through chemo and the church was gathered around praying for him. I visited him on the night before he passed and he said, I so appreciate the way they had warfare for me. And I don't, cancer doesn't have any explanation. I said, well, I'll tell you where my faith is really tested where it's at, Jenny. He says, I have been falling so that when all these things are done, I won't be able to stand again. And I would just like to lean forward and say anything to you, and I said, you don't. But that's the way you want to say it. Amen. He was gone the next day, but before he passed, he said, you do my memorial. They're all going to be LDS that are there. Give them my testimony, give them the gospel, and then ask for a show of hands. And I did. And almost every Latter-day Saint Mormon hand went up. How about that? His widow Donna remarried this wonderful man named Tony later on. And in the same church, uh, Mary Lynn, whose husband was an atheist doctor, she'd always wanted a Christian husband, he got a similar cancer, and I remember telling him, hey, you may seem to lose one. It may look like it on paper. And he continued to contend, and that raised the discovery he had, and they did. George got healed in the same church. Glory. We may not have it all figured out, but we operate in what we know, and we're growing in the Lord. Hallelujah.
So there you have it, revelation knowledge. Receiving the impartation of God card to our charge today, asking us to seek it. He opens the eyes of our hearts to the infinite knowledge, the intimate knowledge of what he's really like. We see the hope of his calling and becoming more and more like the Son, who's the perfect replication of the Father. We begin in the light of that to see our specific calling deep to the action. It might have taken us a while. We might be 80 before we see it, but eventually we'll see it if we persevere. And it may not be especially public. Two things Donna and I are not in danger of. One is dying young. The other is becoming Christian celebrities. I consider them both deliverance. intercession for loved ones, offspring, and sometimes it's giving you less than reason to sing, but hey, God hears the prayers of a mom and drops bombs on hell and rains down upon them to soften their hearts to receive the seed that they need to set them free. What's your name? Ed? Ed, he's a down recognize that he's droll he's got a good sense of humor can be a bit of a one-liner comedian at times but Ed is led of the Lord to be an encourager and at times a good Samaritan this helps people on a practical level and in a charitable spirit of support you're going to have more and more opportunity to share the gospel 
by the way, on fellowship with the offering, I'll just say some of you are technical in the ways that you give with ways I didn't realize that Venmo existed or Cash App. Donna will be back there. She knows how to direct you in that regard. I have no idea how that works. She's the bookkeeping brains of the family that have kept me out of jail so I'm not writing epistles from the slammer. If I tried to keep our books, I would set us back 50 years. You know, in recognizing your gifting, you appreciate those that have giftings that you don't. And you work in coalition instead of competition. She's a detailed person. I'm a visionary. I know where we're going. She knows where we're at. Between the two of us, we're one responsible adult. don't have to build a kingdom. The kingdom's already built. That's been eternal. God proceeds from the throne to be invasive in the earth, but invasive through the church. I wish you could make the felonious remark that the church ages over the kingdom ages itself. They are not the same, but they're inseparable. The church is the temple, the body, the family, the army, and the bride. And we're learning to operate under the supreme architect really a remnant that's getting it, but it's a growing movement. And that is built by human vessels under the direction of the supreme architect, and we move as subcontractors in our mission to the world. But the church is built to be the conduit of the kingdom, which is a culture of love, order, power, purity, abundance, the degree we are dominated by the loving rule of God, we become demonstrators and invasives in every secular part of society that supports the gospel, the light of truth. Politics, athletics, the arts, entrepreneurialism, the corporate world, whatever. I have noticed in my observations through the years natural Israel and spiritual Israel today. There's people that have tried to take truths that are complementary and cause them to be competitive. That just don't work well. It engenders unnecessary debate that is destructive. God is getting ready to, with a, what should I say, a lavish revelatory visitation revealing Yeshua to the Jewish nation, all but Zahir. Sid Roth was over there a year ago in a room uh, twice the size of this, asked an invitation of Jews, natural Jews, to receive Jesus every Monday. It's starting to happen. There's a confluence of rivers, circles, those of Gentile lineage coming together, statuesque beauty 
of Jesus one man. At that masculine figure with his hands extended, I find the superimposed on the bride with her hands lifted up to encourage a spot. That's being stained by the wartum of the world. The wrinkle that's premature age due to legalism and religiosity. Doesn't mean that we all walk in blood today. What it means here is this consummation of the choral variety is to be, and God can do a quick work. If a little Asian bug forged in a bit of hell can change the way we do life in two weeks, imagine how quick God can act in this world. He's pouring out the first trickle of a visitation which is getting ready to eight years old at the time, I was seeing tents set up all over the place by people like Oral Roberts, William Branham, A.A. Allen, Jack Cole, Alexander Dowling. Now, it's true that a lot of these guys didn't finish well. They were pioneers, targets, and a lot of them didn't have that authenticity of relationships that I'm depicting. Jesus knew when a friend of mine was Lonnie Richard. Lonnie was a power he had struggled within and it eventually did him in but his previous pastors all came to his memorial service and I remember Lonnie a lot of them didn't hallelujah Jesus movement charismatic renewal cut loose during the six day war 1967 going on in Nashville Israel that took on the coalition of the Arab nations one, Muslims were seeing angelic forces visiting them. Don't write off the Muslims. Keep praying for them because figures of Jesus are appearing to them in vision at the foot of their bed and declaring the doctrine. Hallelujah. God bless all people. Praise the name of Jesus. We're seeing things as Israel seems to be under assault and surrounded by hostilities hell-bent on destroying them. There are people hell-bent on destroying our nation as we know it. And contrary to its national origin, God's going to bring us to our manifest destiny with freedom. Hallelujah. When he comes, there'll be darkness battling light. But light's going to be winning. He's going to find his restored kingdom and body in the church kicking the gates of hell off its hinges. That's Jesus' eschatology. And whether you're pre, mid, post, or whatever, Jesus gets his prophets on his throne. Hallelujah. We're learning to live in the land of promise, the dimensions of his prosperity and provision. We're entering the land and slaying the giants with the slingshots of the stones that have been fashioned as projectiles by the stream of the Spirit. Like David, I'm going to finish with a song I didn't write. The tune came from the theme from Exodus, uh, from Otto Primage's movie back in around 1960. The lyrics are written by Mr. Cat. 
one of the few celebrities I met in person. He is really a nice fellow. He wanted to do one of my songs that was tied up with a bumper sticker. And Pat wrote the lyrics to this and got permission to do it. And I'm going to finish it by singing, Israel came into their land with burning to possess it and fend off the hostility that it would try to destroy them. The church, the church, which is spiritual Zion, is coming into its fullness. And there will be a time when Jesus first touches on the Mount of Olives and the city of spiritual Jerusalem settles on natural Jerusalem and we reign forever.
and uh, I'm, I'm grateful that you were able to, to receive that. And uh, don't forget, next week, next week, 10 o'clock, next week, 10 o'clock, one service, the family together, and uh, look forward to seeing you. And uh, there's something else. I'd, oh, yeah, guys, make sure you sign up at the back table for the men's camp so we can know how, many food, how much food to provide and, and take care of them. If you have any questions about that, you can see Steve and myself at the end of the service. Let me pray over you. Father, thank you. Lord, I thank you, God, for this time of encouragement, for equipping. Um, Lord, let us not just be hearers of the word today, but doers. Lord, we just thank you, Jesus, that you're going with us everywhere that we go, and we get to be light. And we thank you, Lord, that the darkness cannot quench nor extinguish the light. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your, um, just your spirit that so encourages us and strengthens us and empowers us. And Lord, we just lift your name up. And you said if we will do that, you'll draw all men unto you. So we just thank you, Jesus. And I just pray blessing over those today. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, we'll see you um, Tuesday night at Upper Room. And don't forget the home groups on Wednesday and again here next week, 10 o'clock.